Andrew Womack Ministries presents the 2007 Fort Worth Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen to this session. Praise the Lord. Last night I started talking, uh, I don't even know what to call this, but um, I'm talking kind of about the authority that God has given us as believers and how we need to understand what is God's job and what He's supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. And the very first step that I took last night was to counter what I call this abuse of the sovereignty of God teaching where people just think that everything that happens, it's God's will. Nothing can happen without God ordaining it. If you believe that, there's no reason for anything. You might as well just go to you know, goofing off, living in sin, doing anything, because after all, nothing can happen but what God wills it to be. That is such a crazy doctrine. And uh, anyway, I spent all last night countering that and showing you that that is not what the Word of God teaches. You know, as we were worshiping the Lord today, I thought if people would just take the relationships that we have with people. Jesus used this same logic in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? You know, if my wife loved me so much that she gave me a cancer because I haven't been studying the Word lately and I needed to get humbled and broken down. So she gives me a cancer or she strikes one of our kids dead to teach me something or does all of these things or destroys my house or I have a car wreck and wind up in the hospital flat on my back. If Jamie did all those kind of things to me, I guarantee you most of you would say divorce that woman. (laughs) Get rid of her. Most people couldn't tolerate that. And yet we impute things like that to God and say that God is the one who's doing all of these terrible tragedies. And it just doesn't make sense. If you If you look at God as a real person, a supernatural person, a holy person with no sin, but nonetheless a person, and if if he would treat people the way that we blame God for doing, being the author of all of the rape and the murder and the perversion and the weirdness and the terrible things going on, I don't know why anybody would even serve God like that. That is not what the Word of God teaches. God does not control everything and he doesn't have to give approval to the devil. The devil doesn't have to go to God and get permission to do everything. And anyway, I dealt with some of that last night. What I want to do this morning is show you that you're the one that gives permission to the devil. And I'm going to say some things here, and I'll spend the rest of this morning trying to explain this. Some of you may choke on this, but just bear with me. I, I have learned that... The truth isn't really hard. It's all of the religious doctrines that insulate us and keep the truth from penetrating your heart. And so I've learned that sometimes you got to shock people. you got to just blast them and and do something to break through that crust. Mark chapter 7 verse 13 says that the traditions and the doctrines of men make the word of God of none effect. So anyway, whether it's right or wrong, I kind of like to just kill the cow first. Kill the sacred cow and then we dissect it later. Amen. And, and talk about it. So here's what I'm going to talk about this morning. That, you know, who made Satan? People just automatically think, well, God made Satan. God made everybody. I'm going to share with you that God made Lucifer a godly angel, an anointed cherub, and mankind made Satan. 
We are the ones that empowered Satan. We are the ones that gave him his authority. And it's not Satan going to God and getting permission. You are the ones that loose Satan. Satan can't do anything in this earth without our consent and cooperation. That's a radical statement. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and look at some scripture on this. Genesis chapter 3. This is the uh, temptation of Adam and Eve. And of course the scripture here talks about uh, the serpent coming. But then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about how that Satan is the one that deceives and beguiles us. It also says in uh, John chapter 8 that Satan is the father of all lies. And this serpent was lying and saying some things, deceiving Adam and Eve. And so we know that even though the serpent is the one that was doing the physical temptation, Satan was the power behind it. Satan was using this serpent to accomplish his will. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. You know, if you would really think as you read the scripture, you could get awesome revelation from it. Most of the time we read the scripture because we think that it earns us credits with God. And just you spend 30 minutes reading and it doesn't matter if your mind is on the football game or on whatever else. Just as long as you're reading through this somehow or another, it gives us extra pull with God. And we often don't engage our brain. But think about this. Why did the devil use a serpent instead of like an elephant or a lion that could come and intimidate them and force them into obedience? Why didn't he come and overpower Adam and Eve? Why did he use the most subtle animal? The word subtle here means cunning, crafty. Why did he choose this? The obvious answer is that Satan had no power, no power, zippo, zilch, not a power to force Adam and Eve to do anything. The only power he had was to come and get them to start questioning and enter into doubt, and then they had to transgress against God. He could not twist their arm. He couldn't force them to do a single thing. And I tell you, that is great revelation right there. And this is not the attitude that most people have. People will all the time say things like, well, the devil made me do this. The devil has never made anybody do anything. In our society today, we are constantly giving away authority and responsibility over our lives. And we're saying that, I just can't help it. It's my hormones. I've got a chemical imbalance. You don't understand. I was abused when I was a child. It's my environment. And our society has gotten so much of this psychology stuff that is ingrained it even into the church to where nobody accepts responsibility for anything. And we just can't help it. I've got this problem and this problem. And we blame anybody and everybody else except the person that we see in the mirror. That's the person that's got the problem. Thank you for that. Amen, Charlie. Not many people like this. And they, well, but it isn't my fault. Yeah, it is. It's your fault. The Bible says that, you know, you can become bitter or better. It's your choice. He says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Deuteronomy 30, 19. And then he says, you choose life. He even gives you the answer to this quiz. It's like there's a quiz here. Choose A, life. 
B, death. That should be a no-brainer. But in case any of you are having problems deciding which one to choose, he says, choose life. Easy answer. Amen. He gives you the answer to this quiz. It's an open book test. He says, I give you the choice. You choose. And that is a foundational truth of the Word of God. Satan can't force you to do anything. Now, he can put pressure on you. And if you have been under his lies and deceptions for years and years and years, well, then after a while, you get to where you feel like you have no control. But the truth is, God says, I give you the choice. You choose. It's your choice. And because of this, this is the reason that you can see some people that are raised in homes where, you know, it's all alcoholism or sexual abuse and all of the siblings grow up in the exact same home and yet they choose to go different directions. Because you know what? Your environment is not the dominant control. It is a factor. I'm not saying that some people haven't had a temptation or something that others haven't had. But ultimately, it's your choice. And you can prove that because siblings will come out of the same home and go in opposite directions because God gave you the choice. Nobody has made you the way that you are. And in the very beginning, Satan could not come against Adam and Eve and twist their arm and force them and intimidate them. He used deception and he's using the same thing today. Satan has portrayed himself as this supreme entity that is powerful and oppressive and is making people doing these things. And you know, the number one place that he uses to get that across is the church. You go out here to the unbelievers and they don't even really very much acknowledge Satan. Now there's certain segments that may be into Satanism, but that's a very small segment and stuff. As a whole, the unbelievers aren't giving Satan very much credit. But you know what? Christians give Satan a tremendous amount of credit. And there are entire branches of the Christian community that have exalted spiritual warfare to the level that it's just this powerful thing. They have entire spiritual warfare conferences. Did you know war? If you look up the word war in the dictionary and the definition, you know what the definition of war is? It's a conflict between two undefeated foes. Just to say that you are in warfare with the devil, you've already given him more credit than he deserves. He's defeated. There really isn't any warfare. The warfare isn't out there in the heavenlies and binding these things. The war is right between your ears. It's all of the thoughts. It's all of the deception that Satan is coming against and you are warring against his thoughts. See, that's exactly what happened here in Genesis chapter 3. He chose the most subtle animal. He came at Adam and Eve because he was absolutely powerless. Powerless to force Adam and Eve into doing anything. So he came with words. He didn't come with some animal to intimidate with big teeth, with huge strength or anything like that. He came in a little animal that was subtle, crafty, and spoke words to deceive and begin the very first thing he had to do was challenge God's word. If he couldn't have gotten Adam and Eve to have doubted what God said, then they never would have submitted to this temptation. So he came against the word of God. This is the reason that we must know the word of God because Satan only has deception is the only weapon that he's got and when you know the truth, deception has no power. You know if a person was trying to get you into a scheme 
and trying to tell you that they'll do this and they'll grant you this if you'll just give them this. But if you knew the truth, if somehow or another you knew that that was a lie, that it doesn't matter what their scheme is. It doesn't matter what their lies or deception. The moment you know that it's a scam, then you've broken the power of that scam. It is powerless. The only reason Satan is dominating people is because of our ignorance and primarily the church has promoted and exalted Satan to a level that he never should have occupied. And let me just say some things here. I'm not probably going to have time this morning to convince you of this or to totally explain this, but this is a lot of study that I've done. And there is a large segment of the body of Christ that believes there was a pre-Adamic civilization, that there was Satan ruled over this earth prior to uh, the creation in Genesis chapter 1. That Genesis chapter 1 is describing a recreation of the earth. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to go into all of this detail, but here's my logic behind this. I don't believe that Satan had already fallen at this time. I don't believe that he was already this demonic power, a superhuman, angelic power loosed in the garden down there that God put in the garden just to see if his children could overcome him. That would be similar to us turning our children out into the backyard with a lion out there and saying, I wonder if this two-year-old can overcome this lion. You know what? By anybody's standards, that'd be child abuse. That's not good parenting. I don't believe that Satan was here on this earth as this rogue being with superhuman power that was going about and he just was out there and God created these two innocent people that didn't have a clue about it. There's zero warning in scripture about warning about the devil. I believe that Satan was still in his perfect state and that he was there to serve them. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 that all of the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. I believe he was still in his uh, perfect state in the Garden of Eden and he was God's covering angel is what it says over in uh, Isaiah chapter 14 and God sent his best down there to protect and to bless and to serve Adam and Eve. Now some of you may think, what's the significance of that? First of all, let's look over here in Ezekiel chapter 28 and let me show you a passage of scripture on this. We're coming back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, but in Ezekiel chapter 28... And in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You know, if I had more time, I believe I could show you that this isn't talking about the physical king of Tyrus, but it's talking about the demonic power who operated behind him. Just like Jesus in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew he said, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're Elias, some you're uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets or something. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He blessed him. And then he started talking about how that the son of man is going to have to be crucified. I'm going to be uh, dead and buried. And Peter 
said, far be it from you. That'll never happen unto you. And he rebuked Jesus for saying that he would ever die. And Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Just moments after Peter had said, you are the Christ. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Right after that great thing, he turned around and he says, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to that demonic power who was operating behind him. And this is consistent. There's many times in scriptures where, like over in Ephesians chapter 2, that before you're born again, we all walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The scripture says that every non-born again person has a demonic spirit operating in them. That doesn't necessarily mean they're possessed, but it does mean they're influenced And having Satan work in their life. It says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. That the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. You know we honestly because we're carnal and we judge things on an external basis. Most of us don't realize how much demonic influence there is in this world. But there's a lot of demonic stuff going on in this world. And that's what Jesus was talking about. This man, it's the exact same thing that was done over in Isaiah chapter 14. It talks about the king of Babylon and this whole thing was was this rebuke of the king of Babylon. But then it goes down and I believe at verse 12 and it says, Thou art Lucifer, the son of the morning. And we know that that's talking about Satan. That was Satan's uh, name and function before he fell. And so Isaiah 14 was talking about the king of Babylon, but it really wasn't talking about the king of Babylon. It's talking about the demonic power, Satan, who operated through this man. And this is what's happening here in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. If I had more time, I believe I could convince you of that. But go on down. Let's go back to verse 12. He says in the middle of this, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, You know what? I don't believe that that's talking about the king of um, Tyrus right here because when God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he put an angel there, a cherubim, with a flaming sword to keep the way and nobody has ever entered into Eden again. I don't know exactly what happened. I know that the tree of life is now in heaven, so apparently God moved Eden to heaven or something. But there's no way that the king of Tyrus, the physical man, was ever in Eden. This isn't talking about the physical king. It's talking about the demonic power, Satan, who operated through him. And notice what it says here. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And then it begins to describe him when he was in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the stardust, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. If you study this out, most scholars will believe that this is talking about Satan and that when it says that his tabrets and his pipes were prepared in him, they believe that literally this angelic being was a being of music and that he had pipes and tabrets built somehow or another into his being, and he just exuded music, that he's the one that led the praise and worship in heaven. You could take a little rabbit trail here and come up with, uh, you know, why we have so many different 
why music is such a dominant force among the unsaved and how it influences people and how that it can captivate them and mesmerize them. I believe that that's one of Satan's uh, things. But anyway, this is what he's talking about, that the tabrets and the pipes were prepared in him in the day that he was created. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub. Now see, this is evident again that it's not talking about a physical man. This is talking about an angelic being Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou hast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted by thy wisdom. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of the brightness of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. And it goes on and talks about this. But the point I'm wanting to get across, this is describing Satan in the Garden of Eden, and it describes him as a perfect being in all of this glory and in all of this splendor and as being the anointed cherub. So I don't believe that Satan's transgression against God happened prior to the Garden of Eden. Because again, that would present God as turning his children out in this garden that he created with this vicious, vile, demonic power going about seeking whom he may devour and without any warning from God, without any instruction, with no fence, with no protection, here's this demonic power just going around to to devour them. To me, that seems a little irresponsible. And also, here's, here's another thing. Over in Revelation chapter 12, for time's sake, I won't turn over there, but you can read this. And it's talking about Satan, that old dragon, and that he was cast down to the earth. He's the accuser of the brethren. And that scripture says that this dragon took one-third of the stars and cast them to the earth. You know, here's some concepts that most of you have probably heard, that one-third of the angels rebelled with Satan. And transgressed against God. I challenge anybody to find a reference to that outside of Revelation chapter 12. And it's this symbolism. It's a metaphor about the dragon grabbed one third of the stars and cast them to the earth. Now that may be talking about angels. But I'm saying that it is a symbolism. And it's the only reference in scripture to that. And yet many of us have accepted and based doctrines that there is this whole demonic realm and all of these things happen on one passage of scripture that was clearly symbolic. Now it may mean exactly that, that Satan took one third of the angels, but I'm saying this is how flimsy our theology about Satan is. And people think that Satan took one third of the angels with him to the earth, which Revelations chapter 12 does not clearly teach that. It's possible that that's what it means. And they believe, most people just assume that Satan with one-third of the angels attacked God and tried to overcome him. Now think about this. You know what? If I was Satan, I wouldn't make a frontal assault on God if I had 100% of the angels on my side. Much less if I only had one-third and he still retained two-thirds of the angels... This just defies logic. I mean, Satan is 
not dumb. He's stupid, but he's not dumb. Or I don't know how to say that. Anyway, he's intelligent. He certainly used his intelligence incorrectly. I'm not saying that he's a genius, but he's not just absolutely stupid. Why would you charge God front on with one third of the angels and he still retains two thirds of the angels? That doesn't make good sense to me. You know what I believe Satan did? It's similar to what a person would do. Like if you go in to rob a bank and you've got all of these bank guards around and they've got all of these cameras and they've got guns and you've just got one little gun. How can you overcome all of their firepower when you don't have as much? You know what you do? You go in and you grab a hostage and you stick the gun to their head and says, if anybody touches me, I'm going to kill this hostage. And even though they may have 10 guns, they may have machine guns, they may have more than what you've got because you've got this hostage and they don't want to kill the hostage, you can walk through the midst of these people with superior firepower because they don't want to destroy the hostage. I believe that here's what happened. That Satan was the anointed cherub in Eden. He was there to serve. As it says, all angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. He was there to serve Adam and Eve. But as it goes on to say, his brightness was corrupted. He became jealous. And this is putting it together with Isaiah chapter 14 where it talks about Lucifer. And it says in Isaiah 14 that here's what Lucifer said. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of the heaven. I will sit on the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High God. Satan didn't hate God in the sense that he despised him and didn't want to be like God. He was jealous of God. He wanted the position of God. He was so high in order that he had a lot of acclaim, a lot of, uh, I don't know if it'd be worship, but a lot of admiration. He was definitely high up. He was the anointed cherub that covers But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted God's position. And I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm going to exalt my throne. I'll overcome God. And yet how does Satan, a created being, or let me say Lucifer, a created being, overcome God with a superior power? Certainly the Creator has more power than the creation. Plus the Creator still retained two-thirds of the angels that have been created. Lucifer, at the very least, if you interpret... Uh, Revelations chapter 12 had a maximum of one third of the angels. How do you ever fight against God and overcome him and take his position? When he saw Adam and Eve, he saw a chink in God's system. Because all angels were created beings. And again, I'm speculating a little bit. I'll admit that. But there is no reason for us to believe that angels were ever given the same authority and power that mankind were. The authority and power given to angels was a delegated power. And the moment you get out of line, God could withdraw that power and authority. But when he created Adam and Eve, if you'll turn over to Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to take time to do it, but you can look at this. And when he created Adam and Eve, he says, you have dominion and authority. I give you this earth. It's yours. Rule it. Subdue it. And he didn't put any qualifications on it. He didn't say, as long as you rule it the way that I want you to rule it, then you can have this power. But if you mess up, I'm taking it back. It was an unqualified control and dominance over the earth. 
As a matter of fact, Psalms chapter 82, verse 6, Jesus quoted this in the New Testament. And God said, are you not all gods? Speaking to us, people. Not capital G, gods in the sense that we're divine, but gods in the sense of control. He gave Adam and Eve absolute dominance and control over this earth. And you know what I think happened was that Satan wanted to usurp the power of God. He wanted to take over, but how do you overcome God? When he saw that Adam and Eve had been given this unconditional power and authority, he thought, I got them. He says, if I can get Adam and Eve to submit to me and disobey God and obey me, then Romans 6, 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now that scripture wasn't written yet, but you know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God had already determined these things before the foundation of the world. It was a truth, and I'm sure that the angels understood these principles of God long before they were ever written down. And Satan knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to submit to him and rebel at God, then he became their master. They yielded their authority to him And this is why Satan became the God of this world. It doesn't call him the God of the universe or anything else. He got his power not directly from God. He had power as Lucifer from God. But the moment he transgressed, all of that angelic power stopped. And you know what? He has been operating as the God of this world under our power and authority. God gave us this authority to rule the earth. And when we yielded, we're the ones that made Satan. God made Lucifer. And he was an angelic being, the anointed cherub. But when we yielded to Satan and and yielded unto him, we gave our dominion to rule this earth, our authority to rule this earth to the devil. And Satan has been using human power and authority to dominate this earth, not supernatural demonic power and authority. Now, I really, I don't know if you can track with me in everything I've said, but this really, to me, brings Satan down to a manageable size. All Satan is, is, of course, he's not a human being in the sense that we are, but he is using human authority and power. And this is why that Satan goes about, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan can't devour everybody. Satan can't destroy everybody. If it was up to Satan, every person would be sick. Every person would be broke. We'd all be killing each other. There would be zero good in this earth if it was all up to Satan. But Satan cannot do that. Even among a non-believer, a non-believer cannot be dominated and controlled completely by the devil without them cooperating. You can have people who don't even believe in Jesus who can resist being a liar and being an adulterer and uh, committing murder and doing all of these things. If it was only up to Satan, he'd have every one of us do that because the Bible says, John 10, 10, that the thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and to destroy. If it was only up to Satan, Satan would have this world, I mean, in complete anarchy. And yet it's not that way even among unbelievers because even unbelievers have more authority than the devil. They have to cooperate with the devil and yield to him through lies and deceptions to empower him to do anything.
Here's another way of looking at it. When Jesus cast the demons out of the man called Legion, and, uh, you know, he was called Legion because of, he had a legion of demons, a Roman legion with 6,000 demons. And so if, you know, that symbolism means anything, you can suppose that there were 6,000 demons inside of this guy. And he was supernatural. He was able to break chains and no man could bind him and he wouldn't wear clothes and he lived in the cha- uh, caves and he cut himself and mutilated himself. A lot of the stuff we see going on today isn't brand new. It was happening 2,000 years ago in Legion. He was acting like some of our rock stars and movie people. And anyway, when Jesus went to cast those demons out, they said, oh, don't cast us out into the deep, but let us enter into this herd of swine. And Jesus allowed these demons to enter into this herd of swine. There was 2,000 of them and 2,000 swine. When the demons entered into them, they went and killed themselves and drowned themselves in the ocean. You know, even a pig has more sense than a lot of people. People have parades and brag about their demons and show their gay pride and all of this kind of stuff. And, but pigs kill themselves when they get demon-possessed. Pig brain. Amen. Good point. Good point. That really is a great truth. But here's, here's something that you can gain from that story. Did you know why those demons wanted to enter into the swine? Because a swine has a physical body. It's not human, but it's physical. God gave authority over this earth to physical human beings... And the physical beings, whether it's a dog, a cat, a squirrel, a frog, anything has more power and authority than a demon. Did you know that moss has more authority than a demon? Slime has more authority than a demon. A demon would rather inhabit slime than he had to be cast out into nothing because at least it's physical. He can do something through that. A pig has more authority than the devil. The devil has to have some animal, something with a human body because God gave authority over this physical earth to physical human beings. And only when a physical body is cooperating can a demon do anything. A disembodied demon has zippo, zilch, not a power to do anything. Somebody might be thinking about, well, now what about seances? And I've seen things and I've heard that, you know, they're able to levitate tables and trumpets have blown and things like this happen and these disembodied spirits are doing things. If you pay attention, there always has to be a medium. There has to be a person there channeling these spirits through them to accomplish things. I've had demons attack me when no person is around. And I've physically been attacked and I've had to physically fight demons. And I acknowledge that demons exist. But you know what? There are physical human beings who are channeling that demonic power through them and cursing and releasing this force into the earth. Yes, Satan does exist. And there is demonic power, but he's only drawing on human authority and power that was given to man. He is not a superhuman being. 
He is a non-human being, but not a superhuman being. He is using human authority and power, and it depends 100% on your cooperation for the devil to do anything. Without your consent and cooperation, Satan is powerless. He cannot make you depressed, discouraged, sick, poor, angry, bitter. He can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. God gave you the choice and told you what the answer to the choice is and told you that you can choose how you want to be, life or death. And you know, if you go to understand what I'm talking about right here, this just transforms everything. It means that you're the one with all the power and authority. And of course, I've, I've been describing how God originally created things. But when man sinned, we gave this power and authority over to Satan. And even though you may not be cooperating with the devil, you live in a fallen world where there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are cooperating with the devil. And you are going to have to deal with his power because there's so many people yielding to him and allowing him to have freedom in this earth. So we would still be in a bad state except... When Jesus came, look at this over in Matthew chapter 28. Look at Matthew chapter 28. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, one of the very last things he said before being caught up into heaven. In Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me. In heaven and in earth. All power. Now see, prior to Jesus coming, here's what happened. God created this earth and God is the source of all authority. All authority has to come from God. He is the, he's the source of everything. He's the source of all life. He's the source of all authority. Nobody could have any power or authority but what God gives them. And I believe he only gave angels power and authority to serve him and to serve his creation, mankind. Again, Hebrews 1.14, they are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be, not just are, but shall be, even future tense, heirs of salvation. If God foreknew that you were going to accept him, then those angels are ministering for you and preserving your life even when you were out living in sin. Man, God was saving your bacon because he knew that ultimately you were going to come to him. Amen. And so he gave angels this authority and power, but it's only to serve mankind. But then when he created man, he gave us an unconditional authority over this earth. Satan saw that, man, if I could get God to, I mean, man to yield to me, then for God's word to be true... If he says it's unconditional, if he didn't put any restraints on it, then if I can deceive mankind into yielding to me, God would have to break his own word. He would have to be unjust to come and to take that power back from me because he gave it to mankind and said, it's yours. Do with it what you want. And man of his own free will, of course, under deception, under temptation, but nonetheless of his own free will, yielded control of this earth to the one that we obeyed, Satan. Satan got control of this earth by deception, but he got it legally. And God would have been unjust to come down and just say, that's it, kill the snake, get rid of Satan, and I'm going to reinstitute this. He would have had to become unjust, and God cannot lie. And so, in a sense, Satan took us hostage and says, God, you touch me, 
And you are going to have to kill your people too because they gave it to me. I didn't force them. I didn't come and manipulate them. They chose of their own free will. And so because God loved mankind so much, He allowed Satan to start ruling and dominating this earth with our cooperation. And so Satan took us hostage and walked out and God wouldn't hurt him because he didn't want to hurt us. And so he allowed Satan to start ruling. But then, this is why Jesus had to become flesh. You know, I'm not going to have time to go into all of this. Hopefully I can break this and share the rest of this tonight because this is too important for me to go over it quickly. But in a nutshell, this is why Jesus had to become flesh because authority over this earth was given to only beings that had flesh. And God didn't have flesh. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. God is a spirit. God did not have the right to dominate and rule and control this earth. And I know that some people take offense at what I'm saying. What are you saying? Well, it's not because he wasn't God, but it's because of his holiness. He gave the authority, the control over this earth to physical human beings. And God isn't physical. And so for God to retain his integrity and not lie, he had to operate by his own uh, laws that he had established. And the problem was that, you know, there's a scripture that says that the Lord looked and he sought and he wondered that there was no intercessor, that there was no one that would stand in the gap. So he went on and says, my own right arm will bring me deliverance. In other words, God looked among all the people to see if there was anybody who could bring back this situation and overcome the devil. But all of us had been contaminated because we had sin. And so none of us could save the human race because we were all under Satan's dominion. We had all yielded our uh, dominion to him through sin. And so we were all subjects of Satan. None of us could ever free us. And so this is why Jesus had to become a man. Boy, that blesses me. I don't know if y'all ever think this way, but you know, I, I've come to think that I'm a little odd the way that I think, but I've thought this often about, God, why did you wait 4,000 years after the fall of Adam and Eve before you came to this earth? I've often thought, why did you become a man? Couldn't you have redeemed mankind some other way? Why did Jesus have to become a person? It all hinges around this thing about authority. God gave authority over this earth to physical human beings and God wasn't physical. God is a spirit. Look at this verse over in um, John chapter 5. I never did finish Matthew 28, but I'm going to get to that tonight. In John chapter 5, look at what Jesus said. You know, I'm not sure the exact verse here, rather than me read this whole chapter. Maybe you can, maybe you've got it underlined and can tell me, but he said that the Lord had given him authority also because he was the son of man. Which verse is that? 27. Thank you. And let's go back and read um, verse 20. 
25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. You know, most people haven't thought of this, but the term Son of Man, if you will study this out in the New Testament, the term Son of God is always referring to the divinity of Jesus. The term Son of Man is always referring to His humanity, the fact that He became incarnate inside of a physical body. And so when it says that the reason He had authority was because of this physical body, that's what gave Jesus the authority. Now see, Satan, in a sense, had taken man hostage and said, God, you can't touch me because I've got your physical human being here. And and he submitted to me willingly. And this is the way you set it up. You gave him an unconditional control and authority and he yielded to me and you can't do anything about it without touching your man at the same time. So for nearly 4,000 years, God had been unable to deal with the devil because he had a hostage, which is mankind. But you know what God did? God became a hostage. Amen. God became one of those men, but he was a sinless hostage that didn't have Satan as his master and Lord. And now Satan was in trouble because God was his hostage. And man, God put it to the devil and destroyed him and took all of that power back. And now we aren't only physical anymore. We are now born again. And he said in Matthew 28 that all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He always had power in heaven, but he didn't have power in earth for 4,000 years because man turned it over to the devil. And we're the ones that created Satan and loosed Satan in this earth. But now Jesus won it back. He had all power in heaven and in earth and even under the earth. He came out of hell with the keys of death and of hell. And then he turns around and he says, now go ye. You know what he did? He just conferred that authority and power back unto his people. And we have power in heaven and in earth. With one exception. It's different than Adam. Adam had an unconditional Authority that was rested completely, solely in Him. But our authority is a joint authority shared with Jesus. And you know what? Even if you blow it, even if you go out and turn yourself over to Satan 100%, Jesus is never going to do it. And it's a joint account. It takes two signatures to make anything happen. And regardless if you sign over the, the deed to Satan again... Jesus is never going to sign the deed and therefore it's got a fail safe on it. It'll never pass back to the devil. Satan is a defeated foe. He's operating totally illegally and it's only because people don't know that he's defeated and they have this impression that he's a superior power with superior authority and all of these things that we get intimidated by him. But Satan is a zero with the rim knocked off. Amen. He has zero right to dominate us. And when you know the truth, then you can laugh at him. Amen. You know, I've got a million experiences with this, but let me just share one with you that I was on a plane one time with this uh, guy who worked with me, Philip Moore. 
And this is back when they allowed smoking on the planes and stuff. And we were on our way to Phoenix, Arizona. And anyway, we got on this plane and it was full. And we got the last two seats. We were in the last row of the plane. Philip was sitting on the aisle. I was sitting in the middle. And there was this guy sitting at the window that was, I mean, he was a character. He had one of these uh, French beret hats on. He had red hair and a beard that was down to his waist. And this beard was all clumped and matted and he had had to, you know, pull things out of it. And there was holes in his beard and stuff. And his hair was long down his back and his fingernails were like an inch long. And they had green and yellow crud growing out from under them. And the guy stunk. He had on an army flak jacket and he was, he stunk and he had an attitude. While we were parked at the gate, he smoked two cigarettes and the stewardess came up and said, sir, you have to put your cigarette out. And he'd just cuss and scream at him and yell. And anyway, they were so intimidated, they just let this guy smoke. So anyway, I was sitting next to this guy and I started talking to him about, you know, what do you do? Where do you? And when I asked him, I said, what kind of work do you do? I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember, remember Dobie Gillis and Maynard on Dobie Gillis. But when I said work, he goes, work? He says, why should I work? He says, man, the government pays me a good living. I'm on welfare. I get my food out of trash cans, out of garbage cans. He said, this old capitalistic system has to have 10% unemployment to make it work. And he started, you know, he just had a mind that was against everything. He was just mad at the world. And so I started talking to him and I said, you know, even Adam and Eve had a job. God gave them a job to do when they were sinless. I said, God created you for work and you would feel better if you worked. And instead of being a leech on society, you could be a contributing part of society. And uh, man, he got offended and he was, he was upset and he was looking out the window. We were still parked at the gate. We hadn't even got off the ground yet. And he was parked at the gate. And so he was looking out the window and we took off. And I just kept talking to him about, you know, you, you ought to really, God's got a purpose for your life. You ought to find out what God's will is. God's got something better. And I just kept talking to him about the Lord. And anyway, this guy wheels around. And I mean, he was demon possessed. You could see it in his eyes. And he stuck his nose right up against my nose like this. And he yelled at me in front of all those people. And he says, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And he gave out this long name that later in the conversation, that was a name for Satan. He was a Satanist high priest under Anton LaVey. He said that he had committed, you know, I forget, 20, 30 human sacrifices, cut people's hearts out. And he offered human sacrifices and he was a Satanist. And he had his nose right up against my nose, just yelling at me. You, you are talking to a disciple of the Lord, you know, all of this stuff. Now, how would you have responded? <laughs> I guarantee you, there's some of you that would have grabbed Philip's hand. Oh, pray, Philip, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, to help him get... Man, I've cast demons out before, and when some demon manifests, all of a sudden, you can hear out in the crowd, people are going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They're just saying it as fast as they can, like somehow or another, this is like an ambulance. You hold up your Bible and keep the devil away. You know, it made me mad. It just got next to me that this guy had challenged me. (laughs) 
And so he, he leaned back in his seat and he was looking at me with this terrible look. And I just stuck my nose up against his nose. <laughs> Amen. I got right back in his face and I said, you are speaking to the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and my God's bigger than your God. <laughs> and you should have seen it when I did that. This guy turned from hatred and fear, I mean, intimidation into absolute fear and terror. And he jumped up in his seat and put his back up against the window and was looking at me and started barking like a dog. And then he started clacking his teeth together and doing all of this stuff. And he was up there. I mean, it was weird. And I just put it on him. I said, you're a loser. I said, your God is a loser. I said, what a sorry example you are. You get your food out of trash cans. You stink. You have to mooch off of other people to be able to live. I said, your God's a loser. Look how he's taking care of you. I said, God takes care of me. And man, I just was pouring it on him. And, uh, you know, it was funny. We did this all the way to Phoenix. It was an hour and a half flight. And there were these little, there were two Filipino ladies that were on the seats in front of us. And I mean, when he got to barking and doing stuff, I looked and, you know, they were so short that they didn't go up above the seats. But I could see these eyes like this looking over a seat. (laughs) And about five or six rows in front of us, they just emptied. And it was a full flight. Every seat was taken, but there was at least five or six rows in front of us that nobody was there. And the stewardesses for an hour and a half never came back. They never, they never served a drink. They never did anything. We didn't see anybody. Philip was over here on the aisle just praying in tongues as fast and furious as he could go. And I was just putting it on this guy and saying, you're a loser. And he says, I love my devil. I die for my devil. And I said, you have. I said, you're dead and don't know it. I said, man. And he says, I've cut out all of these human hearts. I've offered human sacrifices. He says, I can curse you and you'll be dead within 30 minutes. And I said, shoot your best shot. I dare you right now. I said, the Bible says the curse causeless shall not come. I dare you. Go ahead and curse me. And he jumps back up against the wall. Amen. And about halfway through the flight, he got up and went to the restroom. And he came back and he was just whistling and singing like everything was fine. It was like he wasn't having any problems anymore. So he sat down next to me and I looked over at him and I said, you know, Jesus loves you. And he just jumped up and started barking and clacking. (laughs) And I mean, this went on until we landed in Phoenix. But you know what? If I would have responded like, oh, God, please help me and and stuff, he'd have had me. But you know what? I knew that he did not have any authority and power over me. And because of it, I challenged him every time he'd say he could do something. I dared him to try it. And you know what? It's just a graphic illustration that we're the ones with authority and power. And we've been letting the devil intimidate us. He has zero power to do it. You know, there was a bedroom in our house in Arlington, Texas, that my grandmother died in. And my grandmother went senile and lost uh, her mind. She ran down the street a few times without her clothes and she had some problems. And so anyway, when she died, she left some demons in that room. And we didn't know what it was. 
You know, I remember, I got my, Rachel, my niece here, and her older sister, Lee, when she was just a baby, the very first time that my sister brought her home, uh, we kept that room shut up. We never used that room. Nobody knew why, but nobody would go in that room. We had Bible studies at my house, and they would go into every room in the house to pray and minister to each other, and nobody would go into that room. Just We didn't know why, but nobody liked that room. We wouldn't go into that room. And uh, anyway, um, when my sister came home with Lee, and she was less than a year old, she was sound asleep the first time I ever saw her. Joyce walked in to put her into this crib that we'd put in that room, and she'd wake up and start crying. We'd walk out and she'd fall asleep. Walk in that room, she'd cry. Walk out and she'd be asleep. And anyway, over a period of time, we just realized something wasn't right about that room. And one day while I was praying and walking through that house, we always kept that room closed. It just dawned on me that, you know what, there's something demonic in that room. And I'm getting rid of this. And so I walked in there and closed that door and I went to binding and rebuking. And commanding that thing to leave. And I mean, all the hair on the back of my head was standing up. And I was thinking to myself as I was praying, I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I can't see these demons that are in this room. Because I was just imagining these huge demonic powers with fangs and, you know, and all this stuff just ready to devour me. And the name of Jesus is just barely letting me walk through their midst and stuff. And and as I prayed about it, the Lord spoke and he says, nope, you got it totally wrong. If you could see these demons, they're little tiny things over in the corner. I mean, ugly, simple looking things that are absolutely terrified, but they got a huge mouth. They just can talk and intimidate, but they are nothing. And you know what? When I changed my image and quit seeing these huge things and I saw that I'm the one with power and these are little tiny, I mean, man, all of a sudden... I got boldness come on me. I got rid of those things out of there. And that night we held a Bible study in our house. I never told a single person. And did you know all of the people started going right into that room to pray and, and to do things. And it just was different. And we didn't have a problem after that. I'm telling you, how you view the devil has a lot to do with how you respond and overcome when Satan comes and puts temptation on you. If you can understand the things we were talking about today... I guarantee you it'll shrink Satan right down to a manageable size. You'll recognize that God didn't create this demonic force and turn it loose on the human race. God created a godly angel who transgressed, I believe, in the Garden of Eden. And we're the ones that gave Satan his power and authority. Mankind created Satan. God created Lucifer. We are the ones that made Satan. We empowered him. And he can't do anything without your consent and cooperation. And man, if you understand that, quit cooperating. Get hold of the truth. Quit believing his lies. And tar- start taking a stand. And I guarantee you, sickness can flee from you. Depression can flee from you. People often criticize me and say, you aren't compassionate. You just are like this and this is the way it is. And if you... If you aren't experiencing victory, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. You just don't have any compassion for anybody. But it's because I, I really believe that Satan is a defeated foe and we're letting him oppress us. And you want me to come in and say, oh, I know he's really tough. It's really bad. I don't believe that. I believe that we are letting a defeated foe defeat us. And there's just no reason for it. And so I am compassionate towards people, but I'm compassionate by telling you the truth instead of going up and just telling you it really is bad.
You know, a friend of ours one time at one of our ministers' conference, there was this couple that, that you, could, you didn't have to have a gift of discernment to tell they were depressed. They were depressed. It was obvious. And so, anyway, they came up for prayer, and this friend walks up to them, and they were just crying, and they were really hurt. And he says, my little children, thus saith the Lord, don't feel bad. If I wasn't God, I'd be depressed too. I thought it was hilarious. I laughed and laughed and laughed. They didn't like it very much. They wanted somebody to get down and feel bad with them and and gripe and talk about how bad it was. But I thought it was great. If I wasn't God, I'd be depressed too. That's the way that people want it to be. That God, this is so bad, I'm not even sure you can handle this. You know what? God is not wringing his hands and he's not upset and he's not disturbed. Man, we are the victors. We are the victors. You know, let me end this this morning by saying that when you get born again, you are translated out of the kingdom of devil into the kingdom of God's dear son. But then Jesus went on to say that you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You have authority, but you don't really have the power until the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's many things that happen. I hadn't got time to teach on that. But there are gifts, supernatural gifts, that give you an ability to go beyond human ability. And I can promise you, if I hadn't have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues, I wouldn't have been able to deal with this Satanist type priest. I wouldn't have been able to do some of the things that I've done. It's my testimony, exactly like the Word of God says, that when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, power began to operate in my life. I began to see miraculous things happen. I mean supernatural things. And I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. I guess it's optional in the sense that you don't have to have it. You could go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker. Because you aren't going to have any power to overcome in this life. You'll die of something. Satan will defeat you and kill you. You can still go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to operate in victory, it is absolutely essential that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues and the other gifts that accompany that. If there's anybody here who has not received that, if you don't have this power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life, you need to receive that. Because everything I've been talking about today is impossible for you to implement in your life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People in the Bible who cast demons out were people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when people didn't have the Holy Spirit, the seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, tried to cast demons out. Those demons nearly killed those guys. You need power. You need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if there's anybody here today who doesn't have that, we'd like to pray with you. And I know that many people think, well, I had a man come up last night and say, well, I got baptized when I was a child. I'm not talking about water baptism. Just because I use the word baptism, this isn't talking about water baptism. This is talking about an experience where the anointing power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, supernatural gifts begin to operate, and Jesus said you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you don't have that, you need it. It's absolutely essential. Is there anybody here who would say, I don't have that, but I need this power operating in my life, and I'd like you to pray for me? Is there anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's people over here. Anybody else? People back here?
We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.